0: You're listening
1: to... Whoa! hot
2: luck, And hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This is episode 14 for Friday, July the 10th, 2020.
0: Wow. More than half the year is gone, Marvin. I know. More than half the year is done.
2: It's been quite a happy year, too, and I'm pretty sure we're all just, you know, what was the quote? Silently screaming in our hearts.
0: Screaming <laughs> in our hearts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a big 2020 mood.
2: That is the mood. Yes. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop culture that gets us through our days, um, professional Asian American, Jess you. Hello. Hey. Are you screaming in your heart? Yes,
0: but it's supposed to be my heart, which is why I'm, you know, I'm trying to be respectful <laughs> right now, but it, it is very blood curdling and it's just, it's just non-stop.
2: And non-stop. Also, <laughs> and also, hey! culture editor Hanwen, how's your heart screaming so far?
1: Oh boy, it's really hoarse.
2: I know. I think my heart screams so much over the last, like, what, three, four months that it's become a silent scream, which I think is what um Does your is.
0: heart have vocal notes because it's been screaming so much?
2: I've been trying to feed my heart um honey and lemon, but I don't know if it's working.
0: No, no.
2: It's it's been a long run on stage. What, two two performances a night, seven days a week? It's
0: it's it's really eight. It's eight, eight a week, Marvin, but really? that's fine. You you don't know the equity rules. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. <laughs>
2: Well, you know what doesn't need to follow equity rules anymore? Hamilton on Disney Plus, which is now playing on the stage as your TV 24 7, anytime you want, as long as you have a subscription to Disney Plus.
0: Yeah, I watched it at like 3 a.m. in the morning on July 3rd, and my mom was like, What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I was like, It's a Hamilton,
2: mom. <laughs> well, what a coincidence because this week we're talking all about Hamilton on the Good Pop Culture Club. But before we get to that, um, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through our week. Jess, what's popping?
0: Okay, so if anyone who knows me knows that I am the number one fan of Great British Bake Off, GBBO, which is a yearly baking competition. Um, Originally done by BBC Now on Channel 4, but that was a big scandal. Um, But there is no GBBO this year because they typically shoot in April and broadcast in August, so obviously they were not able to because of COVID-19. There is another show on Netflix called Crazy Delicious that is like trying to be GBBO. um, Trying, but it's kind of a poor facsimile. It's like GBBO if they spent 10 times the money and it was 10 times less enjoyable. But it's what I got. So it's what I've been watching. Um, and yeah, I mean, I liked, I like the style of it. I think it's really cheesy. Okay, so basically it's it like a cooking competition. <laughs> There's three rounds. Um, and the whole point is that you're supposed to create like fantastical food. So the first round, they have a main ingredient that you have to cook with. It's like bananas or like mushrooms And then the second round is you have to reinvent a classic. So reinvent pizza. And then the third is kind of like they have a theme and you had to create like a bigger meal. But like the setting is like this like soundstage mystical garden. And the judges who um, are Heston Blumenthal, Carla Hall, who I love, she's like, She's a bright light in the show. And Nicholas Eksted, who's like this Scandinavian, like Michelin star chef. They're like all very fancy people. They are called the food gods. And they're like dressed in all white. And like they come down from their perch and they come ass. It's all very unnecessarily weird. Um, and it's an American British copro. So half the contestants are American. Half of them are British. And that's not what I need right now. You know, I'm sorry. Every time you throw as speaking as American, every any time you throw an American in it, it gets like 500 times less charming.
2: More messy, right?
0: Or messy. Um and it's just and like you know like the first episode Heston Blumenthal who has been in the news before for like not being a great person or not being a great boss, you know, with like wage theft and stuff. <laughs> He like does not know what a tostone is, and I just think that is that kind of like demolish the credibility of some of the like these judging food gods. Um, but it's there. It's it's fun enough. It's like fun to have on in the background. Um, some of the food looks really good. (laughs) Some of it does not look very good. It's just sad because it's different contestants each episode, so you don't really get to know any of them that deeply. And honestly, they're kind of boring. The contestants are kind of too normal.
1: Yes, I have to agree with that. The contestants are are well. It's kind of like they're trying to do sort of like the Chopped model, where it's like the competition is only within that episode, and so there's yes. no grand prize.
0: And so yeah, but you Chopped don't. Chopped get- is crazy, and there are some really crazy yeah. personalities to come well, on yeah. Chopped. There's these are just. Pretty, yeah. like, tame people. Yeah, the
1: problem is that they're supposed to be creative with their food. And so they've been mainly pulling from, like, Instagram people. Um, so, yeah, they they don't necessarily pull from people who have personalities. And some of their person uh, creativity isn't actually that creative. Like, there are things I've definitely heard of that they've done. But um, I do like, as over the top as it is, the garden that they created. Because it's basically, like, Willy Wonka's, like, Uh, magical candy
0: room yeah
1: right right where where, like candy is coming from the trees and you can pluck eggs from the you know the nests and then there are growing carrots and you can pull from the ground and all that type of stuff so that's fun yes it is cute i would like to like
0: visit that place but then it's also very awkward because they have to go forage for their food and it's just like these (laughs) three like awkward regular people just walking around like grabbing food there's no time limit or anything they're just kind of just like meandering through this set like this That's magical like looking it. set it's,
1: it's like big budget but low low
0: low Steaks. budget sort of production yeah it's exactly funny. which i say 10 times the money of great british make-off but like 10 times less enjoyable
2: i feel like so what you're painting for me this word picture is a show that has that really goes for it but is let down by the actual people in it right like
1: um, I I have to say, when you're talking about the co-pros that have Netflix has done recently, I would say Big Flower Fight is slightly more interesting because yes. that yeah that has Americans and British people too. it's also incredibly inclusive, um in ways and the f- the visual spectacles are bigger, better, and they are definitely show creativity. So yes. uh, yeah.
2: Well, part of the charm of The Great British Bake Off is that um, it's a pleasant viewing experience and you actually learn a lot from it. Like, Do you get any of that from this show?
0: They are very nice to each other, the contestants on Crazy Delicious. But at the same time, yeah, each episode is its own contained competition. So Mm. there's no carryover. You never get to build like a history or a -a rapport, like root for any one contestant, (laughs) which is my favorite part of Great British Bake Off. Um, and it's even, and I would even say the most recent seasons of Great British Bake Off have not been great at showing us like the behind the scenes, like stories of the people. But that's another show. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings. Uh, but in the, you know, in the scheme of these like Netflix reality competitions, uh, with British co-pro reality competitions, it's it's not the worst It's not amazing. I do think Big Flower Fight is more fun. Great (laughs) British Bake Off will always be the reigning champion. You know, even in its lesser state now, it's still better than a lot of these. And I think a lot of these competitions are trying to emulate the feeling of Great British Bake Off. But it's there. You know, if you're stuck at home and you want to do some crazy cooking, it's not the worst thing in the world. Put it on the background. (laughs) Um, It's definitely like a comfort watch uh and yeah it's not gonna change your life but (laughs) maybe like you'll like be inspired to bake something yeah such a ringing endorsement
2: han what's popping we never we never
1: had to say these are good (laughs) (laughs) that's true it's just how you're spending your time um so i had a few but uh i'm gonna sort of abbreviate it a bit because i read a lot of books this week um Mm -hmm. uh, one of them that i particularly liked is the new release called blacktop wasteland um it's the first i think it's a debut novel maybe not um by s a cosby uh he's a writer out of virginia and it's it the main character's name beauregard uh oh oh my god what's his last name it's a cool name when you're named Um,
2: beauregard do you really need a last name though
1: but it's a cool (laughs) last name it's like a classic southern name but they call him bug so that's kind (laughs) of like sort, sort of show you something and um he's you know an upstanding you know mechanic. He, he has a wife and a family. But the thing is, you know, he can't resist the lure of one last job because apparently he used to be the best wheelman east of the Mississippi. Oh. And um, so while that's a classic sort of like trope, um, and you know there's gonna be some sort of heist going on, the beauty of the language. Like there's like every page I was like, oh, I wish I wrote that line. It's so good because it's not just the the language is good and funny and like clever and stuff like that, but also like pretty deep. Like there are moments where I'm just like, you made me laugh, but that's very true, you know? Um, So and it also, you know, shows like the cycle of poverty and the inequities, uh, uh, racial inequities um, that are faced. Um, There's some cop stuff in there, which definitely shows (laughs) the uh, racism. Um, So I don't know. I just, I thought it was like kind of fun and thrilling, but at the same time, a very good worthwhile read. Um, Yeah. It was very enjoyable.
0: You had me at heist. Yeah.
1: It's cool. It's very cool, but it's also very like low key. It's not like Vegas. It's not like 50 people involved, but it's like, he, he drives through the back roads of Virginia and he's, oh, The other thing is like the author and bug, they're like car enthusiasts. So they talk about like engines and like the balance and because, you know, he's a wheel man. So he knows about like how to drive and handle these things. And that's a fun part of it that like, I know nothing about cars, but he made me care. Um, So, yeah, you know, it's 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 fun, but it's also kind of heartbreaking at the same time. I highly recommend it. And the second thing, because I'm going to sneak in another one, is a movie on Netflix that will be out by the time you hear this uh, called The Old Guard. Um, Gina Prince-Bythewood directs it. It's based on the graphic novels. And uh, Charlize Theron and Kiki Lane star in it.
0: Ooh!
2: This is the one that's like Highlander, right?
1: No, it's too beautiful already. Well, (laughs) yeah. Highlander in that... So basically, The Old Guard refers to... um, a very select small group of people who have near invincibility immortality. So um, Charlize Theron's character is Andy, but it's actually short for Andromache the Scythian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love because, it. So, so these, she's lived for not just centuries, but very possibly millennia. Um, and they very much invincible. Um, they throughout time try to take on you know fights that are for good or at least according to their um rubric and uh and what happens is there's four of them so two are two men one on each side of the crusades who fall in love because they kept killing each other but they kept coming back to life so (laughs) now they're lovers and they're part of this team and then um and some other guy from the napoleon onic wars he was like the most recent until kiki lane's character named niall like all of a sudden like she's uh she's a soldier in afghanistan and gets killed but then all of a sudden comes to life and she's like what's going on i'm having dreams with these weird people and they have dreams about her so she is their new recruit basically um and of course there's going to be a villain if you are somehow out of the ordinary someone wants to harness that in some way um <laughs> so they uh they're being pursued to try to be made lab rats um
2: so i actually saw a preview of this because i was looking at what's coming up on netflix and it reminds me of like there was a time i remember in like i think like the 2000s where movie studios weren't afraid to put out something that wasn't triple a right like a fringe you know sci-fi or genre um story helmed by like a-listers um, but it's like a solid action movie what
1: i yeah what i like about it is not it's not full of cg however i think the action sequences are really good because it's good choreography um and it actually is choreography it looks amazing um and uh it, it that i think it in a way that kind of grounds it and makes it feel like you can feel the hurt more because you know like i said they're nearly immortal um <laughs> And, uh there is a surprising but I'm not gonna give it away uh role for uh it's a smaller role uh for Van Veronica no who was in oh. um who also had a small role in Five Bloods and of course she was one of the
2: uh she's uh, one of the Tico sister yeah yes
1: so but it's a important role and just keep an eye on her i would say it's it's (laughs) very i want to check this
0: out i I
2: love that netflix has become the place for these movies to live because obviously the major studios or the the distribution companies can't find a place for it in theatrical these days right
1: yeah no one can so and frankly i would be very happy if this became a franchise because i think there's lots of good story there and the way it ended it makes it you know open enough (laughs) <laughs> you know if if they need more story they it's there
2: of so. course that's screamer 101 right I'll always leave room for a sequel yeah
1: but it's it's also <laughs> just very clearly you know like dun 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 you know so, <laughs> so i really enjoyed it so marvin what's popping with you
2: yeah i've been watching the new hbo series perry mason um taking advantage of that so i'm still not on hbo max yet because i watched through my <laughs> amazon account and also watch through a roku so Both platforms where HBO Max has not made it through, so I'm still on my HBO now, Um, which I'm surprised. I thought they were going to get rid of it, but I guess Um, it's a new version of Perry Mason based on the old. Were they like Penny Dreadful novels or like pulp novels in the past, or like the? Not Penny Dreadful. It
1: was after that, Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they were. I mean, they were straightforward pulpy.
2: Yeah, about like, um, like he's a private investigator slash lawyer. Although in this series, he's just a private investigator. Um, that No Solves Mysteries, around 1920s Los Angeles. Um, so, or I don't know if they were always in 1920s Los Angeles. This series takes place in the Great Depression era Los Angeles, right after post-World War I, before World War II. So it's kind of the same time frame as um, another beloved um, series, uh, Peaky Blinders, except in America. <laughs> um, Matthew Rhys plays Perry Mason in this go-around, and he's like, you know, it's a very Matthew Reese character. He looks sad all the time. He's like haunted and just very mopey. Yeah, um, I mean, that's,
0: that <laughs> is part of the course for Matthew Reese. So,
2: <laughs> um, good but, casting, I guess. Yeah, well, the rest of the cast are also like a lot of really great character actors. You have Tatiana Maslani, who killed it in what five seasons of Orphan Black, um, John Lithgow, who's been, you know, great forever, Stephen Root, um, Robert Patrick, uh, a lot of hard hitters here.
0: I'm scrolling through the cast list because I don't know any of the names besides Matthew Reese and Tatiana (laughs) Mansley. And it's literally like a cast full of, oh, that person. Oh, that person, (laughs) which is fun. But I'm like, I don't have HBO because I'm not paying for one more service. But, you know, maybe one day when it becomes free on Hulu.
2: Yeah, it's definitely like an HBO-ified version of Perry Mason because I think the original series was more like a standard procedural. Um, This version is a lot more gritty. A lot more dark and has more in common with like noir detective fiction than procedural, you know, detective fiction. So, Matthew Reese's Perry Mason is more like your typical hard boiled noir detective. You know, he's disillusioned, beaten down by life, hard drinking, hard smoking, and ends up being put on this case that he starts taking very personally and very seriously. And like your noir stories from this time period, there's a lot of government corruption, police corruption, politics um, all in play. So, I'm three episodes in so far, and so far the series has been kind of a slow burn. You know, the mystery is starting to ramp up, and the layers of the conspiracy are starting to show themselves. I'm um, not sure if it's going too slowly or not, but it's still enough to keep me interested. But the real star of this series is actually the world building. There's a lot of style in this show, and it looks like a lot of care has been, you know, taken to portray a Los Angeles from this time period that's more diverse. You know, there are uh, Latinx people, there are asian people there are black people um, who inhabit this version of los angeles that i don't think is usually the case in shows that take place during this time period and for me this era this like aesthetics of this era like pre and post war -war la like i I really love it like lots of great suits lots of awesome fedoras um lots of smoky rooms
0: yeah the 30s were a sexy time like visually (laughs) very sexy time
2: Yeah, so if you have HBO Max or Go or Now or however you watch your HBO um, and you're a fan of detective fiction and noir, um, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I'm at a point where I'm eagerly anticipating next week's episode, which is an improvement of where I was last week with the show. So, um, yeah, definitely check it out.
0: Is is it wrong that I think of Mr. Matthew Reese as actually Mr. Kerry Kerry Russell? (laughs)
1: No, not at all. Oh. That's how you should know him, right? Um, He's Mr.
0: Carrie Russell, and you if, know, if, if you also
1: want a pleasant um, diversion, I think it's Hulu that has the wine show. He is with Matthew Good, so it's both. Oh, the, so it's I not love just, Matthew yeah. Good. Yeah, so both of them like are kind of like with their accents, and it's so cute because they, I think they call each other like. Reesey and Goody or something, and um and so yeah, and it's Reese and you know they're drinking wine yeah. and so you're just like a little riesling and it's oh it's just it's <laughs> it's totally in the background type of like pleasant show if you're doing something. Yeah. Anyway, yes, yeah. that's that's my <laughs> that's my <laughs> well, sorry contribution. We tangent it,
0: but yes, yes. Perry Mason. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, the series is ongoing on HBO, so uh, watch along with me if you want. And on that note, that'll also do it for What's popping for this week. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking all about Hamilton. Uh, Stick around.
0: Kathy! Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots, because you know they're bad for the environment. Uh, No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No! That's actually the opposite of what happens. It it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listened to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean Drama Podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja, gotcha! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?
2: And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, last week, the moment everyone's been waiting for, ladies and gentlemen, came out. I think I got that line wrong, but uh, (laughs) Hamilton is now available for the masses to enjoy. No longer do you have to count on a one in a million chance to win a lottery or pay a bajillion dollars for the worst seats in the house. Now you can watch the hit musical Hamilton from the comfort of your very home. Which I have not because I don't have Disney Plus.
0: Uh, (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll share for you, Marvin. (laughs) But a little background Hamilton is a musical. It is a recording of the musical. So it's not like they reshot it as a movie, it's a recording of of several live performances. I believe they shot it over three days, over maybe like five performances, um, at least one with a live audience, many with, you know, on their day off. And they got some close ups and some different shots and some wide shots. Um, so so done in a very deliberate way, not just kind of like a still recording. This musical, um, I think it officially premiered on Broadway in 2015, I believe. And before that, it had done, it had done, uh, you know, the run at the Public Theater, which is like a big New York nonprofit theater that also did stuff like the Chorus Line back in the day as like a trial ground. And before that, it really got its origins. And it, Probably some of you have seen this video, but Lin-Manuel was invited by the Obamas. Yes, that's how long ago to do a to perform at a an an event at the White House celebrating like the arts in America. And he did an early version of the first song, Alexander Hamilton. That's like crash course of the origin story.
2: Yeah. um, The musical, of course, is about alexander hamilton one of the founding fathers of the united states who famously was killed in a duel with his political rival aaron burr a uh, fact that i think most of us learn from a milk commercial in the 90s
1: absolutely Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that i was i was referring to that commercial to my friend and i was like that's why we all know it's aaron burr she's like i never heard of it and i'm like you, you <laughs> lived through it with me but yeah uh Someone Google "milk ad Aaron Burr" and you hopefully you'll find it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just th- I think before this musical became a cultural phenomenon, I think what we knew about Alexander Hamilton was was that he got shot by Burr. I think maybe like fifty percent knew he was the guy on the ten dollar bill, but who uses a ten dollar bill? <laughs> um, and that's probably it.
2: Yeah, and you know, I mean, Lin Manuel himself didn't really know much about him until he read the. Um, Chernov biography about Alexander Hamilton uh, Mm -hmm. and then inspired him to write this play, this musical. So um, I guess before we get into it, we've all seen Hamilton the musical, right?
1: Yeah, I think we've all seen it live before we watched this recording of it.
2: Well, I'm going to let Jess flex a little bit about where she saw (laughs)
1: it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to let her do
0: that. Like, (laughs) she's the expert here. (laughs) (laughs) I Okay, so context. I was a very poor, very underpaid... Um, like associate at a regional nonprofit theater. So I was like in it when Hamilton was really popping, you know, in the early eight stages of like 2014, 2015. Um, I, so I was deep in like that world and I was just obsessed with it as were most of my friends and coworkers. So I, ended up like spending all my money and all of a boyfriend, (laughs) my boyfriend's money at that time. And we ended up going to New York in February, 2016 to see the original Broadway cast of Hamilton. Um, And, but granted, like I actually caught on pretty, you know, I was kind of aware of it pretty early. So like the tickets were bad, like they were bad. It was too, it was ridiculous. (laughs) But At the same time, it wasn't like, like we could still at least get them because we were kind of, uh, you know, I'd just been following the course of this development of this musical. I remember when the the day the album dropped, like the mm. Broadway recording album dropped, it was like the biggest deal in my office. Everybody was listening to it. <laughs> so I think I have a little like... It's my my experience is a little bit different because i was very very much in <laughs> that world
2: right you only spent about a week's salary instead of a month's salary to watch this
0: oh no no i definitely spent like several months salary <laughs> but and i was very very poor living in the bay area and most of my money was going to rent uh which you know it's a whole another conversation about <laughs> theater and the systemic white supremacy in theater but oh. um <laughs> uh, it was it was something i was very like determined to go see and I just ended up trying to make it happen. I mean, granted I'm very privileged still, but I was, I I made deliberate moves to kind of prioritize trying to go see the show and spending whatever amount of money I could afford to go see the show. So like, you know, (laughs) not eating out for a while and not that I could afford in the begin in the first place um but yeah i think i think i'm a weird case i think when people start making money as like a young adult like i think people a lot of people spend it on like going out to bars and drinking and you know think about some of your friends or you've you know how much money did you spend on drinks at in vegas you know or going to vegas and instead of that i just spent it all on Hamilton.
2: (laughs) everyone's got their vice
0: everyone's got their vice and musical theater is definitely
2: mine han what did you uh when did you first see hamilton
0: saw the latest
1: out of everyone because i did not get the original cast which i many people have told me was a shame um and we will talk about that once we talk about the recording but um i do believe i might have gotten anthony ramos as the only holdover possibly i could be wrong about that um but i do know and i've seen this of course with other uh Broadway big Broadway shows that um, go on tour with the second or third cast that often they sort of channel the performances of the original cast like their choices Um, I noticed that with Wicked I definitely noticed it with Hamilton so um, overall you know like uh, well I'll talk about my experiences compared to watching it. Um, once we get there but Marvin you actually saw the first LA tour so did you get the original cast?
2: Well the the original cast didn't do the tours they were they're all in New York so I got um, I watched Hamilton when it the first time I made it over to the Pantages um, I actually got tickets through the lottery, which was um, like I was <laughs> I still remember. Uh, my girlfriend was calling me an idiot for trying every day because there was no way we could win. You it. know
1: what? You know what? There's something magical about the lottery. That's how I got Wicked in Broadway.
2: So you know what? <laughs> yeah. Go
1: for go for it. Always so, go for it.
2: So we were I have in...
1: never won a
0: ticket <laughs> lottery <laughs> Take your before. Shot.
2: I know. Um, so I was uh, I was actually in the middle of a podcast conference and I get an email saying, "Congratulations, you've won the lottery." So I call my, I, I like left the, the workshop I was doing to like call my girlfriend tell her um, so you know how tomorrow you're going out with your other friends um, yeah cancel that now because we're gonna go watch Hamilton um it's it's a pretty good deal you get two tickets for I think ten dollars each yeah Hamilton were, for a Hamilton yeah um <laughs> not bad at all for a Hamilton um the seats were pretty good we were in like the not like the front of the orchestra area but kind of towards the the front of the back half of the ground floor I don't know what you call that.
0: That's still the orchestra, but yes. right, <laughs> and um, <laughs> but just a little bit more like mid mid
2: house. Yeah, our view it. wasn't obstructed, which is great. Um, which is what I was worried about because sometimes these free seats give you like shitty seats. But it was pretty good. um But we got both understudies for both Hamilton and Burr, uh, which I guess you know isn't in the world. They're they're all still pretty good, but at the same time.
0: That used to make me mad, but one time I watched, the second time I went to go see Wicked in LA, this must have been like in like early 2000s, I got Adam Lambert, who is, you know, that Adam Lambert, like American Uh Idol, Adam Amber, and my gaydar was so bad, I absolutely fell in love with him and became (laughs) obsessed with him for years, and then he popped up on American Idol, so ever since then, I'm like, you know, sometimes the understudies are gems. Everyone starts somewhere. But also, gaydar doesn't mean anything
1: if you're still attracted to them, so... Uh, that's because fair. I'm talking about King George here.
0: But right.
2: <laughs> just um, wanna be
0: spit all, all over, hon. Huh? <laughs> yes.
2: The one bad thing about the that night was we were sitting next to at least two people who decided they wanted to sing along to the entire production. Oh, no,
1: I mean, come on. <laughs> it happens. It I happens. know you want to, but you have to like sub-vocalize so people don't <laughs> hear. That's uh, yeah,
2: but other than that, it was a pretty cool night and it's a really good um I know jess you're you're the expert here on, on musical theater, but I thought in general it's a really it's it has catchy songs, the characters are all charismatic uh and you know it's one of those musicals where like you know how some musicals you kind of get bored halfway through or the, the the energy doesn't keep up throughout the entire thing like this this musical is pure energy,
0: oh
1: yeah, I, I personally thought it started slow both times I watched it, but <laughs> it, it 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 got better. And so I think that, like, you know, because exposition dumps do that sometimes for me. Mm. So I was like, but, you know, it, it it allowed me to acclimate to what was going on. Yeah.
0: Well, like any piece of art, you know, there's going to be people who don't like it. And that's totally valid and fair. And I'm not here to, like, bully you into thinking it's great. But as someone who has watched a lot of theater, who has watched a lot of musical theater, like, yeah, Hamilton is, like, on, like, pretty exceptional side of the spectrum. It's more words... than hamlet right (laughs) just put that in perspective but it's just sung it's a sung through musical so there's really no dialogue there's really no scenes traditional scenes and it's just done at a much faster pace than hamlet is obviously um and and i just think i think if you don't like musical theater like at all and if you find musical theater like cheesy and like you know like lame like this it this is probably not going to change your mind It's still really cheesy and it's very heightened. Um, You know, it's I think a hip-hop musical inherently is going to be still a little cheesy, you know, but he does do a really good job of just structuring a great focused story. And the pulling from both hip-hop and pulling from musical theater, like both those canons and referencing both in like an equal amount was is really, really interesting. And it was really funny when, like, the first, you know, in 2015 when this was blowing up, 2016 was blowing up. Like, listening to NPR, like, Jewish liberals trying to <laughs> discuss hip-hop in, like, this art form, because, like, like through all the multiple eras of rap artists, right? Because um, Manuel is a, is, a, is a really big fan, and he, yeah, he references everyone from, like, the early people to, you know, early, like, you know, uh, east coast rappers the tupac the biggies all the way to like jay-z eminem uh, more like contemporary rappers and it's just like it was hilarious they're like trying to like talk about it and like neither side really like it's like yeah
2: <laughs> it had a real like hello fellow young people vibe to it right
0: <laughs> yes yes um but i thought it's it's incredible like the fact that it works to the degree it does is kind of a miracle
1: it's crazy from start to finish when you think about the process. Of first of all it had to be an idea in this person's brain, like Lin Manuel Miranda, and then to actually conceive and then actually write all of that. All of those songs are each equally like well conceived and like and they all sound different and they have different styles in them. Um the amount like you were saying uh, the density of the words but also like combining the 18th century and political language with hip-hop and current like it's so good it's so amazingly like well done i'm it's like a feat
2: yeah what are your favorite parts about it
0: cast i mean i mean (laughs) i think we got to talk about the cast right it's it's a ridiculously stacked cast um Every single player, I, okay, so I think three of them won Tonys for, for their performance. So David Diggs, who played Jefferson slash uh, Lafayette, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who played Aaron Burr, and Renee Renee Ellis Goldsberry, who played uh, Angelica. So they all won that to- their, their Tonys that year in their respective category, acting category. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't even know what David Diggs like. What other like what did V Diggs? have been cast in any other musical no right which is ridiculous because his jefferson his his lafayette jefferson is amazing like the character he created and for those of you who are like unfamiliar with theater so when you are building a show an original show an original broadway cast it's special because essentially you are really creating it in process in rehearsal with the show writer the show composer the director you get to bring a lot and he just created such a singular character in his Lafayette Jefferson, especially his Jefferson, um, that is like you can't help but copy it. And I think <laughs> I think we've seen that in like tours and stuff. Like there's there's a lot of emulation of his original choices because it's just so mm-hmm. uh, it's such a fun and special, unique take. Uh, you know, you can also tell that Lin wrote a lot of the lyrics to push what David Diggs could could do because he's one of the most Like he can rap super fast and super like articulately and clearly, and you don't lose a word. Um, He's probably one of the only cast
2: members who like rap before this.
0: Yeah, he was a rapper. Um, But even like Angelica, someone like Renee Ellis Goldsberry, who was like in her forties when this happened, you know, a black Broadway theater talented beyond measure. Satisfied is the hardest song in the whole show. Like satisfied, both from an acting, emotional, rapping vocal standpoint she has to do it all in one song while literally doing (laughs) shit backwards like the the staging of it is going backwards on this turntable and she nails it and it's incredible and i'm like you know like how many roles are would be available for someone like renee or philippa sue or leslie odom jr so just the the cast was allowed to really shine and Write these roles and these roles that are just so complicated and aren't rooted in trauma, right? They're people of color playing characters. Because a lot of times, if you go through the history of Broadway and like Broadway shows with characters of color that require actors of color, most of the time they're written by white people, number one. And then they're really focused on like a certain level of racial trauma, which understandably, you know, it's a big topic.
2: Well, I mean, how much of that is the fact that they're playing white people?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they they get to play like founding fathers, right? Um so none of that is they they can just kind of like play the character. That's I mean,
1: that's the point of this this mm-hmm. color conscious casting is to give that opportunity to play characters, <laughs> you know, that don't have that,
0: you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Yeah. yeah. I and, mean, m- I- and multiple characters of, mm-hmm. you know, multiple black, brown characters, not just one or not in relation to whiteness
2: yeah there's there is a token here but t- the token is the white dude right
0: the white british dude yeah, yeah. he's othered in his britishness <laughs>
2: um but i think when we look at the cultural significance of a hamilton it is i think one of the things that has come out of it is it's become like a shorthand for when other pieces do co- color conscious casting right like when you usually see this in like either in musicals or stage productions or even in um, in in film and TV, it's always like maybe one or two like choices. Like you don't see it being everyone, right? Like even in like The Great, uh, the new Hulu series, which kind of does this mm-hmm. color conscious casting because you have like black people playing Russians. The central characters are still white, white right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first time I think, and I don't know if it's the first time period, but first time I saw this happening with the principal cast instead of the, you know, the the supporting cast.
0: There have been past productions where there is a singular, like amazing actor and they get to play the titular role. Like when Norm Lewis got to play the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. that was like a story. But it, this is different because he's very consciously wrote it. And I think there's like a casting clause in the show that's like, like if you're, you have to cast people of color, except King George which is amazing cuz again broadway is very very i mean it's literally called the great white
1: way guys <laughs> yes and yeah. uh, exactly but in in what you're saying it's almost like once they had cast one person of color in a play then usually they're like oh we're good but this one makes makes it so like they when we call it conscious it's because like you have to i don't want to say make an effort cuz it's not hard but you have to think outside of the regular people that people are sending you so for casting so i love that
2: i mean for me i see this as like because of hamilton now projects like um the the personal memoirs of david copperfield um the upcoming death patel movie and you know, mr malcolm's list which is the upcoming um another upcoming movie like i feel like those are going to be more accepted because people have the shorthand of like well hamilton did this and people accepted it right and, like i think it does take a breakthrough like hamilton to make it to change the paradigm, right? Um, and Hamilton can be seen as, like, another breakthrough musical. Like, like every few years, you get a musical that everyone can't stop talking about, right? Like, you had it with Wicked. Um, you had it with, um. I don't know if we can still talk about Book of Mormon, but we had it with Book of Mormon.
0: My barometer for this is I have one male cousin who, like, does not care about theater or musicals. He's just, like, you know, a typical person um, not involved with this, and if he has, and I, 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 will check his Instagram. And if he goes to watch a play, I know that has breached mainstream consciousness. <laughs> so it's just like, what are the shows that regular people who don't watch theater will actually go take the time to watch? I think Wicked might have been one, uh, and Wicked, you know, they're trying to develop a film of it. Wicked was a big one. Uh, Wicked is also backed by Universal, so it was not like this, like. It, you know, it wasn't like this like little scrappy underdog production like it, it's I think people have to understand like commercial Broadway theater is exactly that it's commercial theater. These are like the MCU movies that are being made, um, right. not the little indies that could, though sometimes the, some indie musicals do get through. And I have mixed like I typically don't like those, which makes me sound really <laughs> not artsy, but I, I don't, I'll i admit it. Um, And then. And then Book of Mormon broke through, right? Everyone I knew was, wanted to see Book of Mormon, and like regular people were buying tickets to go to the theater to go see Book of Mormon. And of course, Hamilton, people were trying. Most of the a <laughs> lot of people could not afford it because, again, the tickets were crazy, exuberant, yeah. even in like the third, fourth tours. I checked, Which... and one tour was like $600. Was insane. Yeah.
2: I mean, some people are actually thinking about flying to Chicago to watch the Chicago tour because it was it would be cheaper than watching it in New York or in LA.
0: Chicago also had the first Asian Aaron Burr uh understudy study by Jin Ha. Mm. Uh I <laughs> did want to see that, but I don't yeah. think I had the time at that point. I also love Jin Ha. But I mean, okay oh, yes. so
1: this is of course why it's such a significant thing that it was on Disney Plus, because it makes it accessible to all these people who didn't, let's say, save two months of their salary to go to New York or fly to Chicago or any of those places to see it. So like, like my friend in Dallas, Texas would never have seen this if she didn't have Disney Plus. And when it comes to like Broadway musicals, you can either seek it out on TV, like with Broadway HD, Ovation or PBS. But most people aren't going to do that, like unless you're diehard. So this is kind of like I love that this kind of became an event and made it more accessible for everyone um, so that they could check out what this phenomenon was. And I thought for a TV um, recording, it was actually amazingly well done. Like you were saying, you know, because the 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 close-ups and the different camera angles and stuff like that really made you feel like you were there. And um, I also got to, you know, with all the fast rapping, I got to put on my closed captioning and catch like those amazing lyrics and they're so clever um also uh you know like and with the uh close-ups you got to see expressions and which mm-hmm. you know when i bought my ticket i was close ish but not close enough and um the people who i knew i had liked already were even better <laughs> you know so yeah, I, yeah i'm such a fan like having watched it on tv yeah,
0: there, I mean, definitely you can see like that. I mean, most time if you're going to go to watch in a big theater, like multi 1000 seat theater, you're not seeing the minutia of the acting. You're getting the <laughs> energy and the feeling. Um, and that's still really, really fun. But it's pretty cool to be able to see kind of the, like, the more detailed technique and like the skill that all these like performers are bringing. Everything, you know, so even down to like the props and the set and just the dancing, and the choreography. That's cool. But I will say, like, Hamilton, the Hamill film was, like, very well shot. And most productions do not have this. They, they don't do it like this. Um, some other good ones I've seen in the past were actually the Shrek musical was pretty well shot. And that was playing on Netflix for a while. And the Legally Blonde musical was shot for MTV, for broadcast on MTV. And that was actually really well done. <gasps> Should but I it's watch a, Oh, it's so good. The bra- legally blonde, the musical is like better than it has a right to be, and That's Laura the, was plays that the Cerebellus Elle. one,
2: or is that Waitress? Am mm-hmm. I thinking about?
1: Oh no, I do like Waitress a lot, but they're probably. Yeah. I don't like
0: Waitress, but anyway, <laughs> oh, I really do. I love the film, and I like the musical. So <laughs> the film's better than the musical. The film is and amazing. I, yes, um, but it it doesn't happen that often. Like, I, there's really no market for that, or who's yeah. going to pay? Right? Who's going to pay? I, I do think I get the criticism that yes, theater is really expensive and it's, I, I do agree it's not accessible enough to most people but having like worked at theater in theater and been paid like pennies you know, and seeing the struggle trying to stay in the black because there was no, and part of it yeah, part of it's programming and part of is you're programming for a certain audience It's it's like a I don't know it's like a push-pull it's like yeah like theater is really really white it's very old and it's not doing enough to be kind of like capture a new audience right whether that's based on youth or background or uh, you know income levels yes yeah but if they're the only ones who pay for it and you you can't like are you gonna it really comes down to like we don't have an infrastructure in this country of supporting arts which includes theater and supporting in a way that you can take, you know, swings artistically, and you can do the weird things, um, yeah, that really can move the needle.
2: Yeah, I mean, without
0: fi- without fear of like going completely bankrupt.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you were talking about how like in the plays don't usually make it this big, and I think one of the things that a lot of people, and I don't know if a lot of people are aware, but like Hamilton is far from an indie play. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda came into making this already off winning a Tony off his previous uh, musical in the Heights. And as much as this is a story that inspired him because it's an immigrant story, like he himself comes from a very privileged background as well. So like, you know, he had like a lot of institutional and systemic backing to like, to push this play through, which a lot of independent playwrights don't, right? So there's a lot of things that, were already in his favor to make this big, yeah, right?
0: But at the same time, he was not Lin-Manuel Miranda before Hamilton. And that's, I think, like, In the Heights, I love In the Heights, but I don't know, like, if a regular, like, Mm. non-theater person would know, would have had that name recognition of who he was before Hamilton. So he started writing Hamilton, different era. You know, things were seemingly a lot better. And it was, uh, you know, he he kind of struck this idea that struck a chord and started developing it. But at the same time, he is still a, you know, as privileged as he is, he's still a Puerto Rican-American man writing, being a composer in a predominantly white industry. So I think those two ideas simultaneously exist. He's, yeah. Yes, he was privileged. He came from a c- privileged upbringing and he has a certain amount of privilege and success behind him. But at the same time, he was still not the Lin-Manuel Rand and now could <laughs> probably get anything he wanted made. And he yeah. is. He's like directing his own movies. He made Fosse Verdon with uh, Tommy Kale, the director of of Hamilton. So he's he's very much like Ken has that power now. But I think like you know, go back like six years, six seven years, it, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, I mean, yes, he
1: won his Tony for In the Heights, so that's amazing. But if Hamilton didn't blow up, who knows if this In the Heights musical movie that John M Chu is supposed to be doing which is now because of covid you know a little bit Release pushed
0: to next summer yeah
1: yeah. but at least like that would never ever i don't want to say it ever but yeah probably wouldn't have happened
0: no i don't think it would have been made In i do not think that would have been like a top like ip to be of a musical to be made into a movie if it had not been for the success of hamilton and the now like brand name that is lin-manuel miranda
2: yeah and I mean, you mentioned that this play originally came out 2015, 2016, towards the end of the Obama presidency. And you definitely see that in the um, the themes, right, of like almost like optimism about like the American dream, about being able to be successful through hard work. Um, a lot of like this very optimistic, like Obama era thinking that like has all but been crushed, I think, in the past four years. Um, I mean, Washington again now four years later, where a lot of more people are seeing it um we are seeing some more critiques come out um that were always there before I think but now because more people have seen it more people can weigh in on it and we are living in a very different time now than when Hamilton first came out um has anything changed in your perception of the musical since since you first saw it
1: for me no, but it's also these critiques um by the way I'm saying are not things that actually like make me enjoy. The amazing part of it, any less, but there are critiques that work. Well, for example, like the most recent Emma, I adore. We talked about it. Like I was like gaga over it. But in choosing to choose, like, do retell this white story that has been told over and over and over again doesn't leave enough space for other stories to be told. But also, it kind of continues the same sort of like for Lynn manuel Miranda to have chosen Alexander Hamilton's story meant that we were going to get patriarchal America. Like there's no way around it. Like the color conscious casting is great, but the story is going to remain similar. And so, um, so definitely the, the women's parts, Renee Elise Goldsberry and Philippa Sue and like, Did amazing jobs. Like their songs are some of my favorite parts. But in the end, it is definitely just in relation to his character. And so, a friend of mine who watched this for the first time actually had turned to his wife and was like, "So is everyone hot for Hamilton?" (laughs) And it's like the answer is yes. And so, and history also tells.
2: Even Aaron Burr was hot for Hamilton. Yeah, I ship
1: that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. There, are, there. I mean, yeah, that would be interesting. If like, I, 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 would like to see
2: actually Jefferson. Oh, there's, there's definitely fanfic. <laughs> there's hundred percent <laughs> fanfiction drawings. <Aaron> <laughs> Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson in the threesome.
1: Slash <laughs> Sh- Hamilton. I don't know. Um, but yeah. So, so that's those are the critiques as far as like, if there was another person's story he was telling that wasn't because you know he also. Of course, chose what he wanted to tell. um Eliza lived fifty years after him, like continued to live fifty years after him, and she got like a uh, exposition like at the end, you know, <laughs> so it's like she outlived him, doubled his his lifespan and and it's because um politics and men's stories are seen as more important than the domestic stuff that she did. and I get that that's what history has done, and that's how the history of good books were written. but um. And so, like, just be aware that, like, that's the choice that was made. And also, you know, yes, he was the guy who didn't own slaves. But part of it was because he was illegitimate. So he couldn't inherit the slaves that his mom uh, gave to him. Um, And also, he definitely brokered some slaves for friends and stuff like that. So, you know, it's not like his hands were completely clean. He did become more abolitionist later, so... That's credit where it's due, I guess. But yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I, I think there are very valid criticisms, especially as you know we're taking down Confederate statues and kind of you know taking down statues of Columbus and trying to see, trying to really examine or see see the holistic picture of these people. Right? They're not good, and they're not they're not good or bad. Uh, they did good things. They did some pretty impressive stuff, and they did some impressively terrible stuff. Right? And I don't think anyone's denying that but it, almost to a point where like how i i don't even think if you brought up slavery in this play would would it also if you're not going to like spend the spend the time to really delve into that into a meaningful way does that make a difference or does that do it justice the subject justice too It's yeah it 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 would have been a different play of course it would've been a different yeah. play and i think it would have to have been a play about those Labor. Of yeah that. you can't yeah. and then it wouldn't have to be in a different context because they wouldn't they would not have the founding fathers would not have been talking about themselves like yeah. like examining their like complicity in this terribly racist system like yeah. like in this, that way right this
1: was definitely about like bringing up Alexander Hamilton as more of a hero cuz you know how they kind of listed his accomplishments at the end like Wall Street yeah. and you know financial system and stuff like that and his worst thing according to this play adultery and you know like being really dumb about duels so
2: well I mean that's the thing right I think in this day and age where I personally have become more and more wary of just like lionizing people and like hero worship and like putting all your trust in people like politicians who really we shouldn't be like counting on them to solve our problems. we should be like pushing them to like do what The people need, like, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, like maybe making Alexander Hamlin out to be a hero is not the best thing. I mean, it's a great play. And hopefully through enjoying the musical, people can look into who the guy was and what happened during this time. Um, which I don't really I don't know, maybe it's just me being cynical, but I think a lot of people are taking the play at face value and say, Oh, Alexander Hamlin was such a great dude. Thomas Jefferson sucks. John Adams sucks for some reason. Even though, like, you know, there's always two sides to everything, right? John Adams, was right? Just
0: John small. Adams did. His. Uh, okay, but. <laughs> so, so but then my question is Is it Lynn Manuel's responsibility? Because it's not like other narratives, other texts, other information, other movies. There's even a whole other musical about the founding father that's called 1776. So, I mean, he wrote this and it became this huge mega phenomenon that, yeah, I think, for especially for a certain generation, has kind of washed over and really taken like a hold of the consciousness but is that lin manuel's responsibility or his i guess his quote unquote fault
2: well i'm not trying to say it's anyone's fault i just um it's it's a choice
1: it's it's a creative choice to focus on this person and so that means the Mm -hmm. good and the bad and and knowing that he whitewashed over certain bad things about this person is a choice um, now, it well, I mean, lessen... the play doesn't
2: necessarily paint him out to be, like, a hero figure anyways. Like, he does a lot of shitty stuff. He's kind of an asshole throughout the entire play. Oh, he's a like, dumbass. He's, like, he's like a, a, a total dumbass. Asshole, he's, still, but, like...
1: he's still the hero of this play, especially the way they ended it, though. Like, I'm not saying that everyone's going to be like, I'm going to be exactly like him and also sleep with, and and I and I believe, like, you know, having an affair and dying in duels is, is heroic, <laughs> but that like they will take away like oh those are the just the you know the not so great parts i
2: it. mean he was characterized as a very ambitious man who was willing to like he wanted a war so he can raise his you know his position
1: his, in life yeah. i don't think i but i don't see him as an anti-hero you know like i definitely think he's still a hero in this play
2: well yeah but I'm, I'm saying he's still like like the thing is like with the founding fathers like all of them were probably huge ginormous dicks right like ben franklin who's like the wisest yeah. dude in like that time period was like a perv so, right? no, but, yeah. but that's
1: why i'm saying it's a choice because if you choose any of these founding fathers you know that there's going to be some bad stuff so you're choosing how much of the bad you're showing and it doesn't mean it's a fault but it does mean like you have to own it and so like yeah. whose other story could they have told like that would have not have gotten the best audience. See, that's the thing. We, we do understand, like we were saying, like Broadway and theater is still very white. So telling a white story, even with a color-conscious cast, is probably still the best way to get people in.
2: Well, that's the other thing, right? Maybe this was the only way to get like this color-conscious musical in front of all these rich white people who would pay thousands of dollars to watch it. Um, and I think that goes to another thing. It's the feeling I get, it's a lot of people who say they've watched Hamilton or they love Hamilton. Like is shorthand for like, hey, I'm with it, I'm woke, right? Like, does watching Hamilton make you woke? Because that sure seems like before get out, that was the I would have voted for Obama yes, three times. Yes, right, that of that,
0: is, era. that is the uh, that is the equivalent like <laughs> mindset. But as I wrote in my notes, no, liking Hamilton doesn't make you woke, but it might be the gateway drug.
1: Yeah. <laughs> as for example, this the note that many Republicans, including Mike Pence, went to go watch Hamilton, doesn't make him woke uh it makes him trying <laughs> to seem it to certain people. But also it's more of the, hey, this is a popular thing. Let's go see it.
2: Yeah. I mean, watching Hamilton for a lot of people where it's like a badge of honor. Like, look, I was able to watch this thing that no one else can watch right now because it costs like $3,000 for a seat. I guess it goes back to the accessibility of it back then. And like, I'm happy for the cast and the crew and everyone who were able to be part of this because it really did launch a lot of careers and it did bring about i think like no we see this a lot with a lot of breakthroughs right like Crazy rich asians begat like a ton of Crazy rich asian-esque shows and movies and hamilton probably like sent the industry scrambling to find the next hamilton right Um, which hopefully would open the doors for more people of color and more diverse playwrights but it's still yet to be seen if that'll happen because we're not even sure Broadway is going to come back at all.
1: Yeah. It also gave like a bit more mainstream like careers to a lot of people who are mainly theater, like DeV Diggs. He was in theater, but he wasn't like a Broadway star. And now he's like starring in TNT's, you know, um, adaptation of Snowpiercer. Um, he was also in Blackish and Blind Spotting, And I think something, some, a bunch of other stuff, uh, Zootopia. Um, but yeah.
2: And I, th- I think as people who care about representation, like the representation of Hamilton and that being more accessible now, like it can't be understated too. Like there's that of course it's just one example. But Philippa Sue shared a video of like a little girl who like saw herself in her Eliza, right? And that was cute, but also super like that's important because that little girl now can see being a Broadway. Star as like a possibility.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I don't right. think we can deny that Hamilton created a lot of just job opportunities for Broadway actors of color who otherwise would have been relegated to, you know, Ms. background Saigon. courses, playing animals. I mean, it's sad, but like no, like, like 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 I'm gonna go over some of the most common uh Broadway shows that tour that, you know, hire actors that have to hire actors of color. So probably the biggest one for Black actors is actually Lion King, which written by an all white creative team, and they're playing a bunch. Of, it's a it's a great musical, but like at the same time, you're, like you're playing a lot of animals, which is kind of weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, West Side Story, right? It's almost as
2: bad as um, Book of Mormon.
0: All right, Book of Mormon. It's like half, like maybe like half, like a third of the cast is Black, but they're playing a very, very stereotypical tropes. White Side Story again. It's a classic. It's always going to be done, but half of it is always going to be, you know, it's always going to be in a certain like trope. Um, for Asians, it's like Miss Saigon, which can die a s- <laughs> agonizing, a fiery, fiery, helicopter death, terrible death. <laughs> um, Dream Girls, which is a great show. Uh, Dream Girls is probably one of the better shows. Still written by white people. Uh, Hairspray, again m- written by white people. Scottsboro Boys, which is like literally about like a racial like lynching unjust incarceration event in the 20s written by white people. (laughs) Um, You know, there's a few like Fila, bring in the noise, bring in the funk, Color Purple, bring it on, Allegiance that have creative teams of uh, at least some part with people of color. But I I don't think they're quite as big as some of these other shows.
1: Yeah, it's crazy to me when you think about like how long theater has been it like predates film and mm-hmm. having a creative team behind it. That's not a person of color is still the norm. So, and, and overwhelmingly. So not even just like, cause even in film, we can point to several directors of color, you know, yeah. and stuff, so, but yeah, it's, it's just baffling. Um, yeah. Well,
0: well, with film, I think things have gotten a little better with the democracy. You know, it's been democratized a bit, because of technology, advances in technology. So now anyone can shoot, like they say this, but it is true. If you really wanted to, you could shoot a film on your iPhone. um, And, you know, or, you know, if you want to really write a film, it, it doesn't, it's not that crazy. But to make a musical, a play is already pretty hard. And then to a musical where it's like, the pipeline is just insane. Like it's, it's access to like theaters. It's access to musical education it's access to the you know theater arts it's access to uh all these things that unfortunately we do not prioritize in the states right and
2: yeah it's hard to a get all that training and b make a living if you don't have some sort of like secondary income or like some sort of like you know safety net right that's why
0: you need a day job and you basically agree to missing major events for the rest of your life until unless you're at a level where you can make those demands. So very few Broadway stars are at that level. Like um Idina Menzel can ask for one week, one performance off a week so she can fly back to see her kid and, you know, spend like a few days with them. But, you know, if you're just like a chorus member, the only day you're going to have off is Monday. So all your, you miss funerals, you miss weddings, you miss graduations you miss a lot of things and they still choose to do it which is insane i mean that's that's how much they want to do this and i i do think we need to find a better way as a societies to support art because uh you know yeah. the uk it's good for business at the end of the day too because the uk you know they just announced like a billion dollar relief package for their arts their theaters because that's what, actually what makes them money down the line. You know, when you think of British arts, you think Shakespeare and you think theater. And I do think people go for that. And that's something. And it's a, it's a soft power that they're cultivating.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like h- how crazy it is that we're still putting on productions of Miss Saigon, even as recent as like last season at the Pentagon. Oh, yeah.
1: It was so funny because, uh, so I have a friend who always has a uh, season pass to Pantages. So she always um, asked me, hey, which of these shows do you want me to try to get you a cheap ticket? Because she's able to get one cheap ticket. Um, and she lists them all. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she was like, Miss Saigon. I'm like, no. <laughs> and then she's like, why not? I'm like, uh, how much time story? do you have? But um, yeah. And, and I I also said no to cats. But uh, <laughs> I did watch the movie Cat. The movie was fun, but also because how I, drunk were you, Han? Um, I, <laughs> only a little bit. I did go to a rowdy sing along screening, um, on New Year's Day with the L.A. Uh, underground Cat like club. So it was all all of us wore cat ears, and um, during the previews we hissed at any dog on the screen, including Scooby Doo and um during the actual movie there's a lot of yelling a lot of singing and some um and people egging people on to uh nuzzle okay. cat. Uh, you know. uh, it was
0: good uh, it was good stuff okay which cat oh you God. fucking though which cat you fucking jason derulo cat or railway cat railway i mean she gotta <laughs> <laughs> I, I, is like who did shanked. i invite to be my podcast co-host why did i do this <laughs> I have Skimble not seen Shanks, I mean, had to, like,
1: won my heart. Like, Jason Derulo made me actually uncomfortable. Like, he fascinated me, but he's not my
0: guy. I'm waiting for the butthole cut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the butthole release. Let's,
2: next Join us next time for our deep dive into the world of cats. Uh, well, Hamilton is out now. Um, available for everyone with a Disney Plus subscription. Um, or with the Disney Plus drop subscription if you don't feel like paying that uh, was it $14.99 a month? How much is Disney I don't Plus know. I did
1: this? the three year subscription. I
0: bought the so. three years. Yeah. So yeah. it came out to be like four <laughs> bucks a month. It's super
2: cheap. You guys got suckered.
0: No. No. Worth it. We are wise. We are wise. We saw the deal.
2: Gotta pay the mouse. Well, I think uh, when it comes down to it um, there are a lot of reasons to love and a lot of things to question about Alexander Hamilton and the decision to make a musical about him but there's really no denying the cultural impact and power that this musical has had on american culture over the last few years so if you haven't had a chance to experience it uh, for any of the many reasons that we listed during this podcast and you have a chance to now through disney plus um i think we agree that it's definitely worth checking out and on that note, that'll still do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, I want to thank Han and Jess for joining me while we talk about Hamilton. If people want to follow your thoughts on uh, the social media, where can they go?
0: You can find me on Twitter at JessJudeTweets. And I am at
1: Hanonymous, H-A-N-H-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S.
2: And you can find me at Marvin. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club and subscribe to us uh, by going to goodpop.club. Uh, our podcast is a proud member of the potluck podcast collective a collective of asian hosted podcast check out all of our fellow potluck shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye everyone